Thank you that you love people all over the world. Lord, in countries that we don't even know about. And we pray that you would work and that you would raise labor for your your harvest field. That you would raise people up for Lanark County. You'd raise people up for the 1040 window here, Lord Jesus. That through our gifts and our abilities, whatever they are, that you would use us for your glory. That people would be changed, that they would hear the truth of Jesus Christ, the love and grace of Jesus Christ. With that, I just think of Gabriel now, just protect him and that team, building a home. Something really practical, just showing the love of Christ to that group in Dominican, and that people would come to know you through that, Jesus. Lord, we so want to be ascending church. Sending prayers, sending our finances, sending people. Lord, what a blessing that is. Yeah, just uh, soften our hearts and open our ears now to hear your truth and your word. Just give us wisdom, guide and direct us by your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So last week, we started the book of 1 Timothy, and we didn't get too far if you weren't here, so you didn't miss that much. Uh, Basically, I think we got verses 1 and 2 somewhat complete, and uh, we learned about the author, whose name was Paul, who you most likely know, and his son in the faith, Timothy. Paul was an amazing man, we learned, formerly known as Saul, who planted many churches, a missionary, uh, tent maker, preacher, everything. He did it all, right? And one of the churches he started was in a city called Ephesus. And he encouraged Timothy, his son in the faith, his protege, Timothy, a man after God's heart, to stay there, to pastor, to lead that church. And Paul said he had no one like-minded like Timothy. But we learned that Timothy struggled with fear. So Paul exhorted him, commanded him, charged him, challenged him to stir up his gifts and to use them. We see that all the way through, first in 2 Timothy, that Paul is continually encouraging him. So we're going to start here now in verse 3 and see a little more. It says this, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, this is 1 Timothy chapter 1, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes, rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some have strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully 
knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy, profane, for murders of fathers, murders of mothers, for manslayers, fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of which I am chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So this I charge, I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage good warfare having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that, I may learn, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So there we, we have chapter 1, and I'm not going to speak all about chapter 1. We'll be here for a while. <laughs> But generally, Paul writing to Timothy, church in Ephesus, putting it in order. And the first thing he wants to tell Timothy in Ephesus is this. Teach no other doctrine. Better take my pencil over here. Teach no other doctrine. Something's gone whacked out in Ephesus. They're not teaching truth. And Paul is committing to Timothy, charging him to go back to truth. Obviously, they're into fables and endless genealogies. They're into things that don't bring edification. They're into arguments. They're into teaching the law incorrectly. They're into a lot of stuff. And here in Ephesus, Paul is very clear to Timothy, listen, let's get back on track and teach nothing else but proper doctrine, true doctrine. And if you're like me, you ask the question, well, what is that? What should they be teaching? What was going on in Ephesus? And we need a little history to understand that, to know Ephesus a little more. So in your Bible, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 19 with me, and we'll learn a little bit about Ephesus, what was going on there, and we'll track it a little bit through the New Testament to understand what this doctrine is that Paul wanted them to teach. 
So Paul's on his second missionary journey when we get to Acts chapter 19. He has Timothy with him. He goes there. He meets at the beginning of chapter 19, these 12 disciples. He asks them a simple question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what were you baptized in Acts chapter 19? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12. So then we, we follow and track and we see through Acts chapter 19, amazing things start to happen through these 12 people and through Paul. The simple teaching of Jesus Christ. He baptized them in the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, as we learned a couple weeks ago, is giving the power We see in the middle of chapter 19 that there's miracles that glorify Christ. And then as you move on through it, we see that many in Ephesus come to know Jesus. They magnify the name of the Lord Jesus. So not only do you see supernatural things, you see the greatest miracle of all. You see people getting saved. You see a whole city actually that is quite massive beginning to turn and to change to the truth of Jesus Christ. So much so that some of the tradesmen at the end of chapter 19 are so upset because they made idols for Diana, who was the goddess of Ephesus, that they're going out of business. Because Paul is like, this isn't right. You don't worship idols. You don't do that. So all of a sudden they see that their business to this great Diana of Ephesus, is fading. And we've learned previously that all a lot of junk books are being burned, right? And so the town, the city, is getting so angry because their sinning lifestyle that produced money now is going away because people are turning to Christ. Wow, could you imagine that in Perth? Could you imagine all the junk having to shut down? All the places that are sinful having to shut down because people just aren't interested anymore. People ask me, well, what is a true awakening arrival, uh, revival? Is when you see a community change like that, you know God's moving. You know there's transformation, right? When people's hearts are changed that they don't want to engage in sinful activity. And that's what happened in, in Ephesus through the simple teaching of the truth of Jesus Christ. Not John's baptism and repentance, but how they could be saved through Jesus Christ. And simply the power of the Holy Spirit working through these believers, we see amazing things happen. And it gets so bad in chapter 19 that Paul has to leave because they see these people that he's the one causing these problems and then he leaves there. So this church begins on the firm foundation of the truth that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and 
the doctrine of everything they do. It is all based on the love and grace of Jesus Christ. We need nothing about the law or works here. We just read of how Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his servants, is changing a massive city. Paul leaves in chapter 20, but it's very interesting as he passes back kind of through Ephesus or close to Ephesus as he's planted this church, he calls some of the elders to him. So they're in Ephesus and he's passing by, but he wants to have another little chat. So it's like if someone planted this church, they go away, they're doing other missions and they're somewhere in Ottawa and they're like, listen, come on leadership, we had to have a little chat. So he calls them out in in chapter 20 and he exhorts them, these elders and these leaders of this church, and we follow that in chapter 20. It's almost that Paul knew trouble was coming down the pipe. He knew that there was something false going to be taught because when God moves, we know the truth that the devil's not far behind. Because if you don't know that, the devil's not probably really happy what's going on in Ephesus. So what he does is he throws in deception and lies. So I have this saying, when God's moving amongst the people and the people are coming in the front door, I say, watch the back door because the devil's slipping in. And what the devil is, he brings little lies, he brings little false doctrine, brings a little division, brings a little deceit. But what he wants to do is he wants to stop this work. And Paul knew that this was going to happen. And he says to them in verse 27 of chapter 20 of Acts, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember That for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God, and I love this, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I commend you to God. And I want you to build on his grace. So you put that all together and you think about that and what's going on. And you look at 1 Timothy and what was it? Genealogies, fables, and people who were teaching what incorrectly? The what? Does anyone remember from 1 Timothy I read in chapter 1? They were teaching, that was a three-letter word, starts with L. They were teaching the law. Okay, let's try again, three-letter word, L, and W. I'm just checking if I spelled it right. Um, so they were teaching the law incorrectly. And Paul's saying, listen, you have to teach no other doctrine, and then years before, 
He says, watch out. They're going to come in your midst. And then he, he actually says, if we read it correctly, we're all together here, right? Hello! <laughs> okay? Yeah, just... <laughs> They'll actually come from you. Not only will they come from outside and in the door, but men will rise up from within you who are going to teach perverse and incorrect things to draw the sheep, the disciples, away from the truth of proper doctrine which is all based on Jesus Christ. And how they're going to do this is they're going to teach the law incorrectly. Okay, is it making sense? Are we kind of flowing together? This is really important, really important to Paul, really important to us because he said, I didn't cease to warn you day and night with my own tears. Don't go that way. And how I actually did that was I taught the whole counsel of God. You, you, you hear that? He taught the whole counsel of God. So he didn't teach like little bits to his liking. He taught the whole counsel, which is the truth of doctrine. And I'm going to remind you that is all about Jesus Christ, his love and his grace and not the incorrect teaching of the law from 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you are a believer, you understand that the law does not make you spiritual. That's what he's telling them. The law does not make you a saint. Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection make you a saint. Your belief in Jesus Christ makes you a saint. How do I know that? Ephesians chapter 1. Oh yes, the same church. It says, to the saints in Ephesus, not because they were doing everything correctly, because he corrects them in chapter 4 and 5, but he says, as believers, you are saints, not because your obedience to the law. It doesn't make you spiritual. What did he say in 1 Timothy chapter 1? The law is good for who? Okay, follow me. The law is good for who? What did it say? Someone tell me, who's the law good for? The lawbreakers, the sinners, the ones who are out there who could care less. It's, uh, how do we say, you've heard the explanation before, what's the speed limit signs for? It's to show me that I'm what? Speeding. (laughs) The law, Galatians says, is a tutor to show me that I need a savior, but it doesn't save me. It only directs me to the point. But an incorrect teaching of the law says you got to follow it to be spiritual. And if you don't, you're less spiritual. And then church and this incorrect doctrine becomes about how much you follow the law. Now, you don't think that happens in church? Come on. You don't think that has sneaks into our midst? Come on, how are you doing with the law? How are you doing? How are you doing? Really? Really? And then we feel spiritually really great when we're following the law. And if we fail, we feel really bad. And uh, where's Jesus in this whole equation anyways? Teach no other doctrine. Right? Then love. That's what he says. From a pure heart and a good conscience. Nothing else. Don't go that way. By the way, genealogies and fables. What's that all about? Do you know... um, listening to a few things, listening to a few pastors comment, commentaries read on that. We love to argue. Do you know that? 
And do you know in the church what we love to argue about the most sometimes? Not how we're doing, but theology. You know, some people say to me, well, um, what do you feel about um, the end times, Pastor Dan? I've had people just want to write off the internet looking at our statement of faith, not to say they agree or disagree, but pointing out one word that's wrong. And I'm like, okay, you really are interested, aren't you? They're not interested. If someone comes to me, okay, big word, eschatology, end times. What is your position on eschatology? I don't know if I'm going to attend your church. I was just wondering, are you pre, mid, post, or you don't care about any of them? Maybe you just see it as an allegory. Where, where, where are you, Pastor Dan? I'm like, thinking to myself, that doesn't really matter. The question really is, I think Jesus is coming back. But where's your heart in asking that question right off the bat? Are you Calvinist or are you Minion? What are you? I'm a Christian. I don't know what I am. I'm not too smart enough to figure it out. And I'm not saying truth is not important, but do you say they just want to argue and they type out the Old Testament terms of genealogies and this and this points to this and this is this and this could be that and this is that and your head is spinning and all of a sudden you have people in the church arguing and you have churches splitting. Could that ever happen? Could a church split over end times theology or their position on the Holy Spirit or whether they're Arminian or Calvinist? Could a church ever split on those things? I don't know. Just look around town. And you'll know that they have split. And they believe that, so they're over there. And they believe that, so they're over there. And by the way, they all believe in Jesus and they're all part of the family of God. Teach no other doctrine than sound doctrine, the whole counsel of God. Love his love. So you look at Ephesus and you're tracking this church and he writes to saints and you see the amazing work of God and then you go to the next step and he warns the elders day and night. He's like, watch out from the outside, the inside. People who just want to argue and fight and watch out, you know, like if they want to make it all about the law and not about Jesus Christ. And he's like, watch out, watch out. And he says it again, watch out and guard the flock against that. And then he writes this letter to Ephesus. Even we know Ephesus was written before Timothy is there. And and he writes this letter. And the first things he says is in chapter 1. Listen, you guys have all spiritual blessings. Anyone know the book of Ephesians? The first thing, he's going to write a letter. Usually when you write a letter, you, you really, what I, I, well, when I write a letter, I want to get to the point right away. Bam, this is what I'm talking about. Hello, saints, you have all spiritual blessings. And when you, when you look at Ephesians, it's all about proper doctrine first. And not our response. It's always about The truth first. And what is the truth? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have all spiritual blessings. So Paul's saying, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Right? This is who you are in Jesus Christ. You sit in the heavenlies. He says, you're saved by... Let's try that again. You're saved by... Through... Faith. That is the truth. You are a workmanship. You are prepared for good works. This is who you are. This is 
because of that, this is the plan God has for you. And in the last chapters, this is what it's going to look like. This is the same church. This is the same church where it had supernatural revival. Going possibly the wrong way. I'm warning you about the law and teaching the law, meaning putting chapter 5 before chapter 1. Don't do that. Right? Stick with the truth. Today, I want you to understand. Teach no other doctrine than Jesus Christ. Teach no other doctrine than the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor Dan, what about holiness? What about our behavior? You're not going to talk about that? The grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation, teaching them to deny ungodliness. That's Titus. The love and grace of Jesus Christ, when we accept him and we know we're forgiven, the natural response is to do what he says. But I can't teach do what he says before you know who you are in Christ. Teach no other doctrine than love from a pure heart. No bad motives. No arguing. Don't want your stuff, right? I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for him. I'm teaching love from a pure heart and I have a good conscience. This is the truth for Ephesus that they would understand that it is all about Jesus and they wouldn't get sidetracked and it's all about His love. He first loved us. That's why we love Him. Can I put it any clearer? (laughs) That is what you build on. Not your amazing love for God. That's the response to the truth of the doctrine that He loved you first. And His grace is what holds you. His grace is what brought you. His grace is what holds you. And His grace is what helps you to do the right thing. And it is not your ability or your knowledge. It is not that you know the law better than the person next to you. And that is sneaking into all our churches. And we have to guard the front door against that because it will change absolutely nobody. What changes people is Jesus Christ and his love and his grace. And that's exactly Ephesus, what Paul's saying to Timothy. Teach no other doctrine. Holiness is the byproduct of an understanding of the truth of Jesus Christ. Did you hear me? (laughs) If you know Jesus and his love, you will love him back And how do you love him, the Bible says? By obeying his commands. Are you feeling me? (laughs) Are you flowing? And today, I want to charge you that we are called to build our lives, our homes, and this body in the truth of Jesus Christ. It was years ago, and I've told this story, I don't know, two or three years ago now. 
I had just finished preaching and I went to the back and we were singing and I really felt I heard you just take this with a grain of salt. I say I hear my thoughts, okay? I felt the Holy Spirit just directed my thoughts to say this to me. It's time to build. And guess what I thought of? We're going to get a new building. Time to build, but I don't know what to do. It took about 30 seconds when I thought, no, we're not going to physically build anything. But I really felt God said it's time to build. It's time to build. It was time to build. It was later, I don't think more than a month later, that God showed me in my life again that the truth of his love and his grace is the foundation in my life. I've spoken before, but I kind of had a vision of myself playing in the sandbox. I know. I wasn't an adult, by the way. As a kid, I loved to play in the sandbox. And why am I talking about this? But when I was in the sandbox, I want to tell you something when I was in the sandbox. Time meant nothing to me. I think I was like seven or eight. I would spend hours and hours with my yellow Tonka trucks in the sandbox. And I didn't have to have anyone with me. But I remember that so fondly. Just think of a childhood activity. But I want to tell you, think of it where you felt safe. You felt joy. You, you felt freedom. And you didn't have any concept of time. And so I had this picture one day. I was praying of me playing in the sandbox. And I just felt God say to me, that is when you're living in my love and my grace. You're not worried about what anyone thinks of you. You're completely secure in me. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're just enjoying my relationship. And though things happen, you are so comfortable in the truth that I love you. And in that is absolute freedom and joy. Have you ever been there? And maybe you get an adult and things get a little hectic and you're like, oh, I don't know about this love of God. I wrote a lot of people this week, like, I'm still struggling my validation with the Lord. I think I go through it every year, maybe twice, three times, five times. It's a constant journey for me and maybe for you too. But I have this picture where, yeah, God said, when you are understanding my love and my grace and what I've done for you, you live in that freedom, in that protection. You live in joy and nothing else matters. And then I become a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better person. Because I'm free. Because the truth sets me free. That it's not about me. Build. Remember? Build. It's time to build. And I love how it said in 1 Timothy, this is what you build on. Correct doctrine. This is what you build on. Is that what your life is built on this morning? And maybe it is. But maybe, like me, it's easy mm, to get pulled away from that. Maybe it's easy to look at yourself and what you're doing more than it is to look at Jesus and what he's done. Did you hear me? The flesh likes to look at itself and what it's doing instead of Jesus and what he's done. And if you look at Jesus 
you will be set free to do things you never can do in your own strength. But there's a discipline to say, I will not build or teach any other way than the truth of the doctrine of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. So we'll finish with this as you continue. One other place the church of Ephesus is mentioned. Revelation. And another one. Is that Peter? (laughs) He just threw that out there. Okay, well, I didn't know that, but I'll look it up later. Um, Oh, okay. Keener. I thought you said Peter. Um, Revelation. Letter from the Holy Spirit. Remember? What did it say? It said, you guys are doing a really good job. You're holding people to the truth in terms of what they're doing and what they shouldn't do. But there's something that you've lost. Your first love. Back in Acts chapter 19, they came to know the forgiveness, the love, the grace of Jesus Christ. They would do anything for him. And they changed the city. But as time went on and things snuck in, And though they were like, this is the way to do it, this is the way to do it, and maybe teach no other doctrine, but it became a legal way in doing it. I don't know, maybe the word that came to them is for us in Revelation. You've lost your first love. Why'd you start this journey in the first place? What was the motive in your heart? Was it to be a good Christian? (laughs) I just want to, yeah, I want people to say, yeah, you're a good good Christian. You obey the law. That's not why you started this journey. Why you started this journey is you saw a God who loved you so much and you accepted that and you loved them back and you lived in this love relationship and you would do anything for him. And then the world got in and distracted it and then getting everything right and genealogies got into it and you forgot that it's all about this love relationship with Christ and what he's done. And the Holy Spirit says to that church in Ephesus, the same church, repent and turn and go back and do the first work. I need to hear it every day. And you need to hear it today. The Holy Spirit would say to us, go back to your first love. There is no other doctrine than Jesus Christ, his love and his grace. He is the cornerstone. And I want to let you know, there is a fight. And the fight that Satan does isn't in our face, but he subtly tries to turn us away from the truth of Christ to the truth of how we can do it ourselves. And it comes right in from the church. It's not an external pressure It comes right in from the church. And all of a sudden we start judging people according to the law. I I saw you do this. We might not say it, but we're thinking it. You gossip and look at that. I can't believe you. And a correction isn't even in love. It's in judgment to exalt ourselves because it's all about ourselves. And he said, no, there's no other doctrine. But you go back to your first love. And when you're living in the love of Christ, guess what happens? You show love to everyone else. As you become holy, you just love people to death. Because you've experienced love. 
God's not angry. He's not upset at you. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to change you. He wants his grace to be the power within you to change. There is no other way. But the devil wants it all about you and what you can do. So you can be discouraged, depressed, and despondent. And that's not the way to live. And it comes right into the Christian pipe. And we got to say, no more. Not here. We're going to live on the foundation of Jesus Christ. I was so excited yesterday. I had a leaders meeting and I had a little exercise. What's our core beliefs? I said, well, hopefully we're doing a good job as a church that our leaders would know what our core beliefs are. I was hoping anyways. Oh. <laughs> you know what's the top of everyone's list? It's all about Christ, the love of Christ. And it made me smile that we are unified in the truth of proper doctrine. No one said on the list, well, we're all doing the right thing. We all should be doing the right thing. No. That can come down the list, but we build on Christ. And we are charged today to fight the good fight, to wage the good war for the truth of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Amen? So thank you, Lord, this day. And the question that we have before we take communion is, is there anyone in this room who truly has not accepted the love and grace, forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Maybe you've been to church. Maybe your church in the past, I don't know, has been based on your effort and your ability. But the reality is, we can do nothing of ourselves. As Paul said, we are sinners. We all independently are the chief of sinners. And we need a Savior. And that's Jesus Christ. He came and died for us because He loved us. God so loved the world that He sent His Son. And no greater love was the love of Christ who obeyed to come to die for us. And as he died on that cross, he took all the sins of humanity from past, present, and future, and he paid the price because there's a price that's needed for sin because God is just, and Jesus paid that price. The question is, have you accepted Have you accepted that love and that forgiveness? Have you personally said, I can't do it. I'm a sinner. God, I believe in you and what you've done. If you believe that with your heart, the Bible says, and confess that with your mouth, that Jesus came and died and rose again, you will be saved. If you repent and turn from your own way of thinking and your own ability and you turn 180 to Him and what He's done, you will be saved. Is that you today? I'm not here to play church. We're here to see lives change like they were in Ephesus. Because the result of that will be holiness and changed lives. Because as we understand and accept that love, we'll want to obey. But step one, have you accepted that love? Are you living in that love every day? Are you believing in that love? Is that the foundation of your life? Do you feel like you're in the sandbox? Or are you just running, trying to do everything yourself and you're stressed and depressed 
because you're not enough. You're not enough. But you can be with Jesus today in joy and freedom. His truth sets you free. His work is done. You are His workmanship. As you believe in Him and saved by grace through faith, He has good works for you to walk in. The faith part. Have you placed your faith in Him? Maybe you've walked away from that a bit. Come home. I made a promise to myself that I'll give an invitation every sermon I preach this year no matter where I am. If that's you and you know it's you and you've never truly committed yourself to the Lord with all eyes closed and heads bowed just I will look and we'll praise the Lord together. If that's you and you want to make a commitment to him this morning just raise your hand. Anyone at all. Amen. Anyone at all. That means one of two things. You're all believers. Praise the Lord. Or someone's fighting it, which is okay too. But today is the day of salvation. Just want to encourage you. God loves you. And whether it's now or after, if you're fighting him, he loves you. And you can turn to him. For the rest of us, now we bring the sacrifice of praise. That he's done it all. We bring the sacrifice of praise. And we live in freedom. And we fight for the truth of Jesus Christ. We fight saying, he's the one. I stake my life on him. And I'm going to live in his grace. I'm going to turn away from myself. I'm going to process through him and not my behavior. Through his work. Oh, he's setting us free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Greatest way to remember is to take communion. And we're going to do that. And today I just want you to celebrate your forgiveness. And I want you to celebrate Christ. And his grace. And that it's sufficient for you. And that in your sin and your weakness, you are strong because of what he's done. You are holy. You are pure. You are righteous because Jesus lives in you. Let's celebrate this morning. Let's stand and sing as Randy sings. The elements are in the back and you can just bring them back to your spot. And we'll take communion together. Let's just worship. Let's stand together. Oh, uh-huh.